0: I'm glad to see so many of you here today and even with all of your fingers. You know, I um, it seems like every year the fireworks go later. So when I was up way too late last night, you know, they just kept going and I was really impressed. It's like, wow, surround sound even at 11:30 at night. You know? It was it was so impressive. But I hope you all had a wonderful Independence Day yesterday. So in Romans today, St. Paul tells us that whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And conversely, kind of, he also says that if we allow the Spirit to dwell in us, then we will have life. And this Spirit that he's talking about is none other than the Holy Spirit. But that raises an important question. How do we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us? So when I have important questions that are challenging theologically, I do, I did what I always do. I pull out the thickest book of St. Thomas Aquinas I can find and start reading, right? So luckily, St. Thomas wrote a commentary on Romans. So I looked at what he said about today's gospel, or sorry, second reading. He also has a commentary on Matthew. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. (laughs) Anyways, so St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that the Spirit of God dwells in us through our love. It's that love, okay? And so even though we received the Holy Spirit in our baptisms and again in confirmation, when we sin, it drives the Holy Spirit out. Because what sin does... Venial sin damages and moral sin destroys this relationship of love that we have with God. St. Thomas keeps going. He points out that in the book of wisdom, God tells us he doesn't abide iniquity, which is a fancy word for sin. And so if we think about what that's saying, when we sin, we're driving the spirit of God out of us. But that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is we want to drive the sin out of us so that the Spirit of God can come in. That is challenging. It's a lifelong endeavor, but it's not something we do alone. God regularly assists us with his grace, and he walks with us through this life to help us out. He's left us with the scriptures that we can consult when we have questions. And when we read the scriptures and meditate on them, we grow closer to God. We get that ground in our hearts ready for the seed that Jesus wants to sow in there, that he talks about in the Gospels. Today, Christ in the Gospel talks to us that he reveals all of these things to little ones. And I got to thinking, why why is that? He talks about this more than once, that he reveals things to the little ones. It's never the mature adults, you know. It's always the little ones. And so, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Maybe, you know, maybe Jesus just thinks kids are cuter, you know. Who doesn't want to hold the baby, right? That's possible. But as I thought about it a little more seriously, I realized that perhaps it's because children have not yet lost that sense of wonder or their sense of openness to new things and to new people. Because if you look, a child is not afraid to look up at the clouds or at the stars to see amazing things, shapes and plants and animals and people and and whatever their imagination can come up with. A child, probably to the horror of many parents, is not usually afraid to go and talk to someone they don't know. A child is going to trust his or her parents, or, I mean, let's be honest, they're probably going to trust anyone who's three or four feet taller than them, right? A child wants to know more and more and more, all of the time. And so they're always seeking out new experiences, new adventures, new friends. They always want to hear a story. You know, I, my, my goddaughter a few weeks ago, she wanted me to tell her a story. And I said, I, I don't know any stories. Well, she said, just make one up then. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know. They don't care. They just want to experience things. And it's beautiful. But sometimes a child also recognizes that he or she is wrong because they have humility. They haven't learned to be afraid of it yet. Zechariah in today's first reading tells us that our Messiah will be humble as well because unlike the Roman emperors or the kings of that day, he wasn't going to ride into his royal city on a horse. He was going to do it on a donkey or an ass because when do you get to say that at church, Right? Anyways, we also hear it in the gospel. He says, I am meek and humble of heart. And so these three traits of children, their humility, their wonder, and their openness to all things, I think those are essential to growing in love. And no matter how hard we try to hold on to all of these things, it's a struggle to maintain them as we age. I mean, I ask myself some of these questions. When was the last time I just looked up at the clouds or stared at the stars? Fireworks don't count. Those are way too exciting not to look at, right? Or when was the last time I admitted to myself that maybe I'm not the smartest person in the room? When was the last time I allowed someone to actually teach me? Or... (laughs) When was the last time I admitted I was wrong? You know, not counting that looking at the sky question, none of these are fun questions. They make you uneasy. They kind of churn your stomach a little bit. But when I got to thinking about the answers, they were even more disturbing. Because I realized that for me, the answer to all of these questions is, it's been longer than it should have been. Because we don't like to be wrong. We live in a society that proclaims that truth is whatever we make it. We make our own truths. This is called relativism. It started in the realm of morality because people don't like to be told what they can or can't do, and so they just do what they want anyways. And then they came up with this idea that says, well, what I do is right because I want it to be right. I mean, I'm caricaturing it a little bit, for the sake of not spending three hours explaining it, but, but this relativism has infected every area of our society. Because what it's done is it's caused our society to say that if we don't like a truth, if something true makes us uncomfortable, then it's okay for us to decide on our own authority that it's not true for me. Society tells us that that's a good thing. Because God forbid we should ever be uncomfortable or that we should ever experience the trauma of being wrong. But The thing is, society is wrong. Truth exists. It is universal. If something is true, it's not going to change. I mean... Here's a truth. If you jump, you will come down. Even if you are on the moon and you jump, you will come down. A little bit slower, yeah, but you're going to come down. It doesn't matter how you feel about gravity at that particular moment. Gravity doesn't care. You're coming down anyway, right? And so it is with many of the other properties of our universe. What air does, how physics works. If I throw something, how far will it go? These things. They don't change. Just like the fact, the truth, that a newly conceived child is a human being, made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore has a right right to life. This doesn't change no matter how we feel about the circumstances in which that child was conceived. No matter what our feelings are about something that is true, no matter what our favorite political leaders tell us about the truth, the truth is not going to change because the truth is grounded in God. In fact, that is one of the attributes of God. He is truth. And God does not change. This is something the church has been teaching since the very beginning. She's told us over and over again because it's hard for us to accept. Just three examples off the top of my head when I was writing this from the last hundred years or so. At Vatican II, they wrote a document called Dignitatis Humanae, which is on the dignity of the human person. And it, it, It's in this document they say the truth doesn't change. It's important to us. Then Saint Pope John Paul II talked about it a lot. He wrote an encyclical Called Veritatis Splendor, which literally means the splendor of truth. You know, the truth is very important to us. And that is actually an encyclical telling us how to avoid the problems of moral relativism. The man was a prophet. And then again, he wrote an encyclical called Fides et Ratio, or Faith and Reason. This last one I know particularly well because in seminary we had to write a big long paper about it and so you focus on a few paragraphs and write 20 pages about those paragraphs. But in Fides et Ratio the saint tells us that our reason is a gift from God so not only can we use it but we must use it. Because it's a gift from God. And so the Catholic Church, despite what many say, is a big fan of science for this reason because it's a gift from God. When we learn about creation through science, we learn about the Creator, we learn about God. You know, that whole thing with Galileo all blown out of proportion, in fact, Well, I won't get into it too much because that's another three-hour discussion. But that was more about his argument with the Pope than about his science, you know. If you look throughout history, we've been consistently there, sometimes better than others. And that's something that's very important to me personally, you know. Before I became a priest, I was an engineer. I like science stuff. I like reading science stuff, you know. As I was, until recently, I need to bring my subscription back. I had subscriptions to four different kinds of magazines. We had theology, we had cooking, we had video games, and we had science, all right? I need to get the science one back, but the internet does a great job of it. But lately I have been reading articles in scientific journals, because that's where the good stuff always shows up, before everybody else gets to it. And I've been reading about, you know, the coronavirus and masks and all of this, because that's what's going on right now. That's what scientists are looking at. And so I found this one called The Physics of Fluids. There's a whole magazine about the physics of fluids. Now, if that's not nerdy, I don't know what is. So, of course, I'm intrigued, right? And they have one called Visualizing the Effectiveness of Face Masks in Obstructing Respiratory Jets. So I looked at it and I said, what in the heck are they talking about? They simulated coughing, and they tried different types of masks to see what happens to this particle cloud that gets expelled. So, like good scientists, they set up their control, you know, without a mask, and their simulated cough would go eight feet, this cloud of stuff if they put a bandana on, dropped it in half to 3.7 feet. Then they tried a few other ones and the results actually surprised me a little bit. They bought a mask from CVS, I think the study said. It's one of those like cone ones that you'd see at a construction site and it drops it down to eight inches, but like one of these homemade cotton ones, (laughs) it dropped it to two and a half. I was really surprised by that. I didn't expect this to be better than the store one. Anyways, the point is that these guys, they study physics. They set up this experiment to get at the truth. And so I learned something when I read this. The problem is that after we learn the truth and inform ourselves, there's another step we have to take as Catholics because the truth is important we have to allow the truth to inform our actions. So you probably noticed that I'm wearing this more right now. That's not a mistake, it is intentional. It's not necessarily because the government told me I have to, although they do have the authority to do that. I'm wearing it because I think it's the right thing to do. Because I've informed myself with information from sources that make it their job to know these things from physicists and doctors and, and other people, because I read more than just that one article. I didn't think before that it was that big of a deal, you know, but the science has shown me the truth that they are effective, especially when combined with other things like distancing, at helping other people not get sick because of me. It shows me it doesn't necessarily protect me, but it protects those around me. Is it perfect? No, but science proves that it's better than nothing. Honestly, I don't really want to, you know. But what I want and what I feel, like I said earlier, that doesn't change what is true. Because another truth is that God demands that I love my neighbor as myself, always. Always. If I don't love my neighbor, it means I can't love God because it means my love is messed up. And if I can't love God, it means I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to live in me. God asks us to do things on a regular basis that we don't want to do for the good of ourselves or for the good of others. This is, in fact, the essence of what Christian love is. We sacrifice for ourselves. We sacrifice of ourselves, sorry, for the good of the other. Like married people, you know all about this, right? You love your spouse, but sometimes it's a real sacrifice, you know? As a priest, it works a little bit different for me because daily the sacrifice I think about is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how I recognize That's probably not something that he really wanted to do. But why did he do it? He did it because he loves me. He loves each one of us. He did it to eradicate and conquer something much more contagious and perfidious than the coronavirus. He did it to eradicate sin, the original disease, the thing that originally caused death. So he suffered. I think if he can do that, I can probably wear a mask, you know. That's just the priestly character, right? So, brothers and sisters, let's always seek the truth like children with openness and humility. Let's let this truth inform our actions so that we can truly love our neighbor. And in doing so, love God and open our hearts to the life-giving spirit of God.